the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. The Bay Area has a rich diversity of churches and ministries that serve the community in Jesus' name. And here at KFAX, we love to shine a spotlight onto the great things God is doing through the kingdom work of pastors and ministry leaders. Each weekday, a pastor or leader is interviewed, and here on the Sunday Message, we feature a sermon or presentation from that leader to get you better acquainted with churches who will welcome you to worship, and ministry opportunities that invite your involvement. Now, here's the host of the Sunday message, David Naderhood. And good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Ministry of the Week Sunday message. This is Dave Naderhood, and it's my privilege every week to be taking one of the churches or ministries around here in the Bay Area and shining a little spotlight into what God's doing in the different corners around the Bay. And today is no different. It is a real thrill to be able to reconnect this past week on the Ministry of the Week interviews with my friend Tim Riley. He has a ministry called Compelled and started off as an evangelistic uh, training and has grown with a discipleship piece as well. And Tim joined us in studio today, so we're going to get a chance to hear a little bit from him before we go into the message today. Tim, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. You know, when uh, we talked this week, in case, folks, if you missed those interviews, you can find them at kfax.com and listen to the podcast of those interviews for more information. But just in summary, um, uh, you have a a young family, four kids. You've been, uh, let's see, you had sort of a dramatic conversion experience, right? Yeah. Give us a quick overview of that. I was an atheist growing up. Mom died when I was young, made me angry at a God. If he existed, I didn't like him, but I figured he didn't like me. Uh, (laughs) And then the proof of the resurrection was given to me, and I tried to disprove it, and I couldn't. So then I became a Christian because Mm. I couldn't do anything against a God who could actually physically rise from the dead. And yet that faith that was born in you didn't remain a propositional faith. It became a relational faith. And yeah. that really became the uh, compulsion for compelled, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was because we were seeing a lot of people come to know Jesus just from simple conversations that I was challenged to actually create something where I could train others to do the same thing. And I think that was one of the things that stood out to me when I first uh, heard you speak was you you don't deny the truth of people who have a sort of an argumentative or debate approach to apologetics. Uh, you believe what they believe, but you just don't see it as being as effective as relating to people relationally. Yeah, I would say that a lot of people will spend a lot of time arguing about ad hoc things or things that don't really matter as much. And mm-hmm. so instead, want to make the main thing the main thing. And if Jesus is who he says he is, if he physically rose from the dead, then you can spend all your time arguing about creation or against evolution. You could talk a lot about Calvinism or predestination or anything like that. But at the end of the day, is Jesus who he says that he is? And one thing that I picked up on that you shared this week was that, particularly in the Bay Area, people are in a very postmodern, I mean, whether they think of it in philosophical terms or not, it's a highly pluralistic 
culture here in yeah. the Bay Area. It is thoroughly postmodern. It's really sort of post-truth. People don't really care about the the truth value of yeah. their arguments. It's what they feel, right. and how are you going to relate to how they feel at right. any given time, right? Right. So it it is uh, a very um, fitting ministry to have here in the Bay Area that that it's relationship based, yeah. and I love that. I know um, you shared a little bit too, if you don't mind, just recapping that for us, that you you saw people being uh, drawn in to the evangelistic side of it, but then it needed more. So tell us about how Replicate came about. Yeah, I, uh, Compelled was going great. We've trained over 4,500 people in the Bay Area. But what I had noticed was unless there was a depth, not just relationally, but to doing something with the word, not just hearing it, but actually exercising faith, it, a lot of times it was in vain. There were a lot of people that claimed that they followed Jesus, but nothing in their life changed. And I believe it's impossible to experience experience Christ and not change. So Replicate came about because I just started to invest in, in a, actually in 2015, invest in 14 men and just poured out my life into these men. And what was so amazing was to see these men pour out their lives in one or two men mm. and see those men pour their lives into one or two men. And it's been encouraging to see marriages and families and, and kids be discipled because people just realize, man, we, we can't just hear the truth. We have to be doers of the truth. Yeah. Yeah, doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And you're going to get to hear the word shared in just a moment. Uh, Tim, um, why don't you tell us about the message we're about to hear? And then if you don't mind, just take us into a word of prayer for us. Absolutely. Him. I, uh, I did a series called Christianese, and for a lot of people, they thought Christianese was for people that were far from God to come to the church and hear it. And it definitely was for that. But a lot of times we use words in the Christian church as Christians that we don't necessarily understand things right. like discipleship, uh, things like community or church or gospel or mm -hmm. salvation. And so this message is actually on Jesus because Jesus is the point. It's out of Colossians one. If you want to turn your Bibles there, that's where I'll be preaching from. And it's this opportunity for us to make sure that we get Jesus right, because we can go and do a lot of different things. But if Jesus isn't the main point, if it's not about him, Everything we're doing is in vain, because mm. I believe the entire Bible points to one truth, that we're in need of a Savior, and his name's Jesus. Amen. Well, let's uh, let's lift this message up to the Lord. Would you pray for us, Tim? I'd love to. Father, I thank you for grace in my life. I thank you for all the grace in Dave and his family and, and the listeners' lives, Lord. And I just pray that you would use this message to point people to you, that you would get exalted, not any preacher, not any person, but that Jesus would be exalted yes. because he is so good. And so, God, use this message and challenge us to not just hear it, but to do what you're calling us to do in our mm. everyday lives, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Tim, for joining us in studio today. And folks, once again, um, the message you're about to hear coming from Colossians chapter 1 uh, from Tim's series on Christianese. And this is a focus on the person of Jesus here on the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 13, and then we're going to eventually get back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Thank you guys for being here as we continue our series, Christianese, where we walk through different words that are used often in the church that people outside the church tend to not understand. But if we're honest, we use these words and don't define them, and often we don't understand them as well. And today we're going to be talking about not only the most important word, but the most important person 
in the history of the world, and his name is Jesus. So thank you for being a part of this. This person of Jesus is the most famous person to ever live. In the past 2,000 years, more things have been written about him, talked about him, more movies have been made about him, and he has argued throughout culture and history more than any individual. Everyone around you has heard the name of Jesus, but that doesn't mean they know who he is. Every person around you has heard the name of Jesus. In fact, no one stubs their toe and yells out Justin Bieber, right? Like everyone has heard this name. If you don't know who Justin Bieber is, hallelujah for you. But, but for some of us, we don't actually believe Jesus to be who he claims that he is. But you have to do something with Jesus. He's the most polarizing individual who's ever existed. But who exactly is and was he? It's one of the biggest disagreements in history. It's one of the biggest issues that we have even in the church as we come and huddle and praise God. Do we see Jesus the same way? Because I think it's the most important question you will ever be asked. Who is Jesus? People look at Jesus in a few different lights. Some will look at him as a great man or a great teacher who really taught life lessons that people needed to hear. People think of him as a good man, a good teacher. That's one way of looking at him. Another way, some will say that he was a great prophet who spoke of God, but wasn't God. He was just a moral person, a prophet or a religious guy. Some will say he was a charismatic fraud who wanted to mislead people and get them to believe that he was, he was God and he was a crazy man with a Messiah complex. And then there are many who will say that he is the one and only son of God who lived the perfect life that none of us could live, died the death that all of us deserve to die because of our sin, not his, and then physically rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Proving that he is who he claims that he is. C.S. Lewis, some of us are familiar with this theologian. He was an atheist originally. He was a former atheist who was a medieval literary scholar. He became a Christian and an apologist, a theologian, someone who talked about Jesus and pointed people to him through the scriptures. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, for those of you who are still who C.S. Lewis. He wrote The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters, Mere Christianity, and many other books. But he wrestled with Christianity for quite some time because when he would read the scriptures, it wasn't written like fiction, which he was accustomed to. He had to do something with Jesus and the claims that Jesus made about himself. He puts it this way regarding how you must view Jesus. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the the really foolish thing that people often say about him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can not shut him up as a fool. You can spit, you can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to the patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He was not, he has not left, uh, has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, 
However strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. That's the Jesus that we're going to talk about today. And we're going to open the scripture as I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to hear Jesus speak for himself. The Bible is 66 different letters written by about 40 different authors, all telling the same story that we are in need of a savior. And Christians believe that it is Jesus because of his perfect life, his death and his resurrection So as we open the word of God today, no matter how you come this morning thinking of Jesus, would you put away your biasness and just allow the word to say something to you this morning? Before we read the word, I'd like us to pray together. And if you're not familiar with prayer, it's one of the ways that we interact with God. It is an opportunity to dialogue with him, but often we are far too impatient to actually hear God speak back to us. So would you just calm your hearts? Do you just close your eyes? Would you just take the next few moments to allow God to teach you on this Sunday morning? God, you are so good to us. You are such a loving God. You sent your son so we could be made right. And so, Lord, we want to exalt Jesus like we want to exalt him every day, every moment of our life. But this morning, God, over the next few moments, we ask that you would exalt your son. That Jesus would be made much of, that Jesus would be fallen in love with, that Jesus would be the point of everything that we do in the next few moments. We praise you and thank you that you will change us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. This is a book written by one of Jesus' disciples. His name's Matthew, obviously, hence the name Matthew. In the Bible, before he came to know Jesus, he had the name Levi. That was his Jewish name. Jesus walks up to Levi, who is a tax collector. I don't even have a good example of what a tax collector would be today other than someone who helps support ISIS. And Jesus walks up to this man and he says... Drop everything, or he says, come and follow me. And Levi dropped everything he had. He dropped his iPad. He dropped his Bible. He didn't have one. He dropped his keys. He dropped his, his deed to his little hut. He, he dropped everything to come follow Jesus. And what I love about this is that Jesus didn't wait for this guy to clean himself up. He called a man who was a traitor to his country to come follow him and be one of his disciples. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling at this point in Matthew 16. And Jesus has this itinerant ministry where he goes from town to town and he preaches the gospel. And he tells people about Jesus himself. He tells people about the kingdom of God. He tells them that the kingdom of God has come, that you could know God through him. Now he's with his disciples in a very intimate moment. And we get to actually see this as his inner circle is together and they are talking. So verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Jesus asked the disciples a question. Now, I need to state something just so we're very clear on this. Jesus never asked a question out of ignorance, but always to expose something in his hearer's heart. It's not like Jesus didn't know what people were saying. He knew he was God. But he asks questions to expose something in the hearer's heart. They've been traveling. Many people have been coming to Jesus to have their physical ailments healed. And Jesus has healed them. But here's the even cooler part. He's also forgiven them, many of them, of their sins. Now, if he's not God, that's a blasphemy. 
If he's not God, it's untrue. Their sins were not actually forgiven. And they were in Caesarea Philippi, which was near Mount Hermon, not the one in, in Felton, but the one in Jerusalem. And and in this context, right where they were in Caesarea Philippi, this was considered the gates of the underworld because of mythology. More about that in just a second, known as Hades. Jesus asks a special question in a special way. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man, if you're not familiar with this title, is a messianic designation. It was a term used in the prophetic book in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament called Daniel. It essentially means that Jesus, the Son of Man, has been given authority, dominion, and a kingdom. Jesus called himself this, explaining that he believes he has authority. So either he does, or he is crazy, or he is a narcissist, but if he is actually the Son of Man, he can call himself this. And here is the reply. Verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. See, Peter is generally the spokesperson for the group of disciples, He's the guy that constantly sticks his foot in his mouth, just keep reading, it's awesome. But Peter's response is, others think that you're just a prophet. People had witnessed miracles, they had heard him speak with an authority they probably were not used to, and he was different, and there hasn't been a person anything like him before and after. He is not someone that can be ignored. But the general tendency that we have, and they had in these answers when asked, who is the Son of Man, was to underestimate Jesus. Do you see that? To give him a measure of respect and honor, but to fall far short of honoring him for who he truly is. This is a problem in the church today. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And I want you to think about that for a second. Because that's the point of this message. Who do you say that Jesus is? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. So who is Jesus to you? Do you see Jesus as just a man? A good teacher, maybe even a good prophet? Or is he God? The one and only God the Alpha and Omega, the name above every name, who is the Son of Man to you? Verse 17, And Jesus answered him after Peter's reply, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you know Jesus today, it wasn't because of some charismatic teacher. It wasn't because your parents just told you about it and all of a sudden it clicked. You know Jesus today because the Heavenly Father, God, sent His Son to intervene into your history. And through the Holy Spirit, He exposed who He was to you so you could know Him, so you couldn't give credit to anyone but God. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. His name was... His name was Cephas. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, I get to say it there, shall not prevail against it. Jesus' term, the rock, not Dwayne Johnson, but the rock, Petrus, in which he will build his church. That's what he said he would build his church on, on the rock. 
but he calls Cephas Peter, or in Greek, Petros, which means a little stone. Jesus is being punny here, in case you've missed it. Because at first glance, I think often we think that he built his church on Peter, and Peter became the Pope. No, that's, that's not what Scripture teaches. See, he built his church on the confession that Peter had, that you are the Christ. You see, the reason that we're here and we gather and we praise Jesus and we talk about Jesus and we worship Jesus and we're baptized because of Jesus, the reason we do all of that is because we have confessed that Jesus is the Christ. And that's why my hope is that we would start to understand that everything we do at Hillside is to point you towards that fact, that he is the Christ. Jesus is being punny here, but Jesus is the cornerstone. So he wasn't saying that Peter is the rock that he built the church. It was his confession that you are the Christ, and everything we do as we follow Jesus should be based on the statement that he is the Christ. The ministries that we do should be based on he is the Christ. The reason that we baptize people, because he is the Christ. The reason we go on a men's retreat, because he is the Christ, and we need to point people towards that fact. See, Christ was not his last name, just so you guys know. I'll let that sink in. It was his title. It was his role. It was his place. Jesus is the Christ. And we answer this question if we believe him to be the Christ every day by what we do. If we really believe Jesus is who he says he is, it will affect our lives and we will be constantly changing into the likeness of Jesus. Jesus said he will build his church on this confession. Jesus is the Christ. That is what the church is truly about. That is what we have in common. That is, we do not look at Jesus as merely a good teacher or a moral man or even a God, but the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And Jesus says the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, would not prevail against his church. Hades, which is in other translations, was a term that signified death. Would not prevail against Jesus and this confession that he is the Christ, the church. Because Jesus, if you've read ahead, defeats death. It was his life, his burial... His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection that defeated the power that sin had. And the power that sin has to rule in our lives. Church, you don't have to be ruled by your sin if you've trusted in Jesus. Because he defeats that. But you must believe, you must trust, you must have faith that he is the Christ. When I meet with people, generally, depending on where they are, I will often ask them, who is Jesus? And hear from them specifically what they think or who they think Jesus is. But the thing that we need to understand is it's not intellectual acceptance that saves us. It's not some facts, but it's to submit to the power and the glory that God did for you what you could not do for yourself. And you're made right because of him. So we're going to go to Colossians. As Fred read, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 15. We're going to walk through this. Colossians is a letter written to the church in Colossae. It's written by Paul, the apostle who was killing Christians, ran into Jesus after Jesus had died and risen again, and then saw him and was changed. And started to tell others that Christ had risen, that he was the Christ. Colossae was a city that had been thriving through trade routes, located in the city, but a few years previously from when this letter was written, 
the trading in the city had almost completely stopped. So it was a city in decline economically. Colossae, just for you map people, was located in current-day Turkey. The church of Colossae had experienced a very dangerous heresy that had started to perverse the gospel. Heresy is when people start to use their wants or their agenda to perverse what Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God says. And as long as there is sin in this world, hear me, there will be heresy. People will say things like, Jesus was only a man, or Jesus was created, or Jesus didn't think that he was God. That's my favorite. Then why did he get killed? Stupid. Yet scripture teaches us differently. The heresy that Colossae had experienced was a form of Gnosticism. We talked a little bit about this in our Philippian series, that Jesus was a created being that he had not risen from the dead physically, but spiritually. So we read, as Paul addresses these exact arguments against Jesus and who Jesus truly is. So verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God. An entire sermon series could be based just on that half part of the verse. The Son, Jesus, God's only Son, God sent His Son into the world. God put on flesh and walked among us. We're familiar to hearing this, but do we understand this? The Son, Jesus, is the image. Another word is icon. He is the photograph. He is the copy. He is the likeness of God. Jesus, to make it simple, is God with skin. Jesus is not only the exact representation of God, but he is also the manifestation of God. God came into our history. God didn't send someone like himself. He sent himself. He is not just an example to be imitated, but a savior to be followed and trusted. A preacher named D.M. Stearns was preaching in Philadelphia. At the close of a service, a stranger came up to him and said, I don't like the way you spoke about the cross. I've never heard this. I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ, it would be far better to preach Jesus, the teacher and example. Stearns replied, I presented Christ in, if I presented Christ in that way, would you be willing to follow him? I certainly would, said the stranger without hesitation. All right, said the preacher. Let's take the first step. He did no sin. Can you claim that for yourself? The man looked confused and somewhat surprised. Why no, he said. I acknowledge that I do sin. Stearns replied, then your greatest need is to have a savior, not an example. We need to understand that he did do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Still in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know what God is like? How much grace that he has How he sees his creation? Church, look at Jesus. So many people have their theories of what God is like. But if you truly want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at how people spoke to him and how he spoke to them. Look how he loved the social outcasts. How he provided grace for those the world didn't think deserved... Mercy. Look at Jesus. We need to stop trying to go above and beyond who Jesus is. We need to stop trying to be more effective than Jesus. We need to point people to Jesus. 
the firstborn over all creation. Many people attempt to skew and perverse what this means, but as this was translated from the original text, which was Greek to English, we seem to assume that firstborn means inception when it actually means preeminence of position or rank. Jesus has always been. He was not created by God. He is God. And his rank is above all things, just as the firstborn in a family in a Jewish context would be the heir of all things. Verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Another verse that an entire sermon series can be created on. He is the creator. He was not created. All things that are created are underneath Jesus and his supremacy and a word I just came up with, his godness. Everything in heaven and earth, everything visible, everything invisible, all powers, rulers, authorities, thrones, all created things were created through and for him. That's a powerful verse. There is nothing in this world that at some point will not bow down to Jesus. Man, I'm glad we follow him. Jesus is king, but not just for those who believe in him, but everyone. See, I read ahead, he wins. In fact, if you're familiar with Revelation, when the fight happens at the end, you've got Jesus and you've got Satan and his army of demons, and Jesus opens his mouth and says, I am, and the fight's over. I mean, it was worse than Tyson and whoever in the 80s, right? I mean, he just destroys him. Why? Because he is over everything. It is not a fair fight. Jesus is the Christ. There was another, uh, there was another heresy that had come into the church. That Jesus was an angel. That he wasn't any more important than a created angel. You know one of the fastest ways to spot a cult? They attempt to lower Jesus' supremacy. Who is Jesus? He's God, the only God, the Lord King Almighty. But cults will tell you he is an angel or one of many gods or just a prophet. Jesus lived a perfect life, died a gruesome death, and physically rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and one day will come back to judge the earth. That's the real Jesus. I listened to a sermon yesterday that almost made me vomit. Because they tried to take away the supremacy of Jesus and who he truly is. It was just about what he could do for you. It's not about what he can do for you. It's about what he's already done. He is the real Jesus, not a good teacher, not a created angel or a good prophet. He is the great I am. Verse 17. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus is before all things. Think about that. All things. He has always been. His life did not start when he was born to Mary. He has always been. When the foundation of the earth was created, hear me, Jesus was there creating. When man was created in God's image, Jesus was there. When Jacob wrestled with God, I believe Jesus was there. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar, I believe Jesus was there. When Daniel was in the lion's den, Jesus was there. When you're going through a storm, church, Jesus is there. When you stop breathing through your lungs, Jesus is there. There is nothing in or outside of this world that is out of Jesus' control or 
sight. We can live this life differently knowing that we're saved by grace through faith in him. Without Jesus, this world would not spin. It is he who keeps the world spinning the way that it does, just a little bit slower, and we'd all freeze to death. A little bit faster, and we'd all burn up. It is Jesus who holds all things together. The writer of Hebrews says it this way at the beginning of his book, Hebrews chapter 1. He says, long ago, and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his, what's that word? Son, capital S, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance. Oh, that's a beautiful word. Of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins. Whose sins? Ours. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God used prophets in the Old Testament that testified to the coming of the Savior. Then the Father sent his Son into the world to point people to himself, who is the heir of all things. He made the whole universe and everything in it. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. His death and resurrection paid the debt that we had brought on to ourselves through our sinful actions But Jesus ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, above and over angels and every other created thing he did for you, which you could not do for yourself, church. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. If you underline in your Bible, underline preeminent. Jesus is the head of the church. We're here to worship Jesus, to celebrate the one day he's going to come back. We believe this, right? And to gather together to practice it's heaven through grace. worship and it's relationship, when we gather to celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming healing. back it's and to equip to us to be grace givers Jesus, to the world excited. around us. John's giving baptism the goal of following Jesus, sins. hear me, and is this not is to the make you wealthy. Of his message. Just going to let it's that sit time there for a second. For the poor to be lifted up. It's the goal of following Jesus is not to make you wealthy. It does healed. not guarantee that you will even be healthy. To be the message of the gospel in the scriptures is that no matter in that sense, the time, what, the Jesus of the is enough. Is a time when salvation is here. No matter it's what, a time of he is sufficient. And the he is preeminent. He. Is the we Christ. are in that state of His grace. resurrection the from the dead now, defeated death and made it so if you would trust as Jesus go all over the world, as Savior, you would no longer have to be enslaved sin. to Enter your sin, even God though comes. you'll still sin. Find healing. But you're no longer Find enslaved holiness. to it if you have Find a Lord who defeated the power that sin had on you. And you know what? Verse 19. The kingdom has begun For to in reign, him all the fullness of the God end, was pleased there will to dwell. Be and terror. God and was pleased because the fullness, of the all the attributes of, the of God, of were not spread amongst creation, but fully us. dwelt in Jesus alone. Is imminent. Salvation Verse 20. Is here, but and through him, it's to reconcile to himself all things. John preaches a good sermon. And the reason that it's a good sermon is to balance 
God reconciles us to himself through Jesus, church. This is like basic stuff that so many of us have heard, but here's the truth. We're desensitized to it. Give us the meat. And one group is one that preaches only fire. If the gospel is boring to you, if the gospel doesn't excite you anymore, you may not understand it. Where it was just a sermon that Jesus coming into our world to make it so we could be made right, not based on what we do, but based on what He does, is great news. Because I can't work my way to that. And that's not giving. See, the great exchange happened. That's another way to hear the word reconcile. Exchange. The great exchange happened. We got what Jesus deserves, and and He got what we deserve. That's the great exchange. He got what we deserve because of our sin, and we got what He deserves, which is a perfect life in eternity with. God. But he also doesn't say, I'm just going to talk about it. But it is only through the it, death so on the cross of a perfect substitute that we could be made right no, he by a holy and just judge because he, says, he did yes, for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. See, someone has to pay the debt of our sin. And Jesus did it for you. At the same and paid time, it for those that do you. And you, if you receive it, if you confess him to be to the Christ, come. you've received that free gift. You know, and John reminds us Max Lucado says it this way, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. Is eternal. If our greatest need had been technology, God and would have that sent all us those scientists. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an you know, and, economist. And is alluding to if our greatest need had been Isaiah pleasure, 66, God would have sent us an entertainer. When it talks about the but our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent John us a Savior. Knows his readers, know the Verse Old 21. He doesn't avoid that. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you may not fully realize or believe this, but without Jesus, you are an enemy of God. You can't be scared into because none of us strive to be holy. And yet, many think they're good because they compare themselves to someone who's worse than they are. But God does not grade on a curve because if He did, He grade against Jesus. We've all committed cosmic treason against a holy and perfect God. And no matter how much you attempt to do good, it is in in vain without Jesus because you cannot justify yourself. Jesus Jesus lived, died, rose again, and can be trusted. So you don't have to attempt to justify yourself anymore. You are a child of God if you've trusted Jesus with your life. You are an heir of all things with Jesus. God is able Verse from these stones to raise up children. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach say, well, before him. See, I feel like I'm hitting this over and over, but I don't want anyone leaving this place going, man, i got to try harder. Can't say i got to just pray more. Have been i got to read my Bible more. Been a Presbyterian or See, the I've more that you read this, so many generations. the more you'll realize say, it's well, all about Jesus. Baptized as an infant, Every word of it. Like, I don't think that any honest person without biasness could read this book in its entirety and not see that it's all because about I'm an Jesus. American. It's all about okay what he God. has done, what he has accomplished, and how for Moody, those of us who would pledge uh, who their allegiance to him as Lord and Savior, they would re- receive the exchange of his life And at life one point he was going onto the battlefield, oh, that's good news, church. very dangerous job, I really do think that there is an enemy soldiers about the gospel that attempts to mislead us. And in fact, us. he had many opponents. Misleads us in the church. Unitarian. Misleads us outside and, uh, of the church. They basically to even saying, get you to believe that Jesus is God. He's crafty. Jesus. They're good American Even patriots. believe that Jesus is God. And he, of course, but to not go a step further, that to just intellectually accept it. That. 
That is not what it's and not to actually Yet in every give up era, your will and submit your heart countries to that the have king a Christian of background somehow put those Lords. two together. To be a good American he wants to, to transform you, church. Or to be a good German is to be a Christian. Or to great be an quote Englishman that I read. Is to be a Christian. And they're kind of the Meaning same no thing. disrespect to Being the religious convictions is, of others. The same thing as entering the kingdom. I still can't help wondering that's not how we can explain away what to me have is the sorry, better pe- pedigree than you and I. Have. They are is the greatest miracle. <clears throat> how we can explain away what to me is the greatest miracle of and all. And here they say don't which is recorded in history. We are warned. No one denies there was such a man. That he lived, that he was put to death by crucifixion. Where is the miracle that I speak of? Well, consider this and let your imagination translate the story into your own time, possibly to your own hometown. A young man whose father is a carpenter grows up working with his father's shop. One day he puts down his tools and walks out to his father's shop. He starts preaching on the street corners and in the nearby countryside, walking from place to place, preaching all the while, even though he is not an ordained minister. He does this for three years. Then he is arrested, tried and convicted. There is no court of appeal, so he is executed at the age of 33, along with two common thieves. Those in charge of his execution roll dice to see who gets his clothing. The John only possessions that he has, at the same time, his family cannot his afford a burial place for him, so he is interned in a borrowed tomb. End of story? No. This uneducated, propertyless young man who left no written word, he didn't write any of it, and I think it's, Physically, it's a paradox. Has for 2,000 years had a greater effect on the world than all the rulers, kings, emperors, conquerors, generals, admirals, all the John scholars, King scientists, repent, philosophers who have ever lived all put together. To How do we explain that? Have truly trust in the unless Lord. he really was who he said he was. If I'm driving President straight Ronald and Reagan. I look down, verse 23, my phone or something if else, indeed you continue in the faith, I may be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed. And I all creation under heaven, and of which I, and I think Paul, the, fact the apostle, is when you became a minister. God, See, there's a stirring in me, church, just like the car that we wouldn't just accept the truth that Jesus is God, that He is the Christ, but that we'd actually lean into that truth. That we would actually allow our life to be informed by the fact that He is the Christ. See, belief without trust is in vain. So, do you trust Jesus? John is saying the same. Not just with your really eternity, but this, with your daily life. There are the implications. And you're going to have to discern So is he on. the Christ in but your life? But the good life. news about this too is not that you just Paul have says to if in this verse, which for many of us should be one of the scariest words in the Bible, because it seems as if Spirit. we trust Jesus, we tri- strive towards actually being led and changed by him, mount, not by manufacturing it ourselves, but by trusting the Lord who will do this through us. So hear this, Jesus is not a good idea. Has given Jesus us the Holy is Spirit. And that's the good, the good news. news about the teaching of John. That's why we come here. That's why we that worship. Promise is for that's why we do all that we do so we can make much of Jesus. Please this past Sunday after a sermon, I, I get, Lord, you know, I liked it. I didn't like it. Hey, good talk. I get it all, okay? This great um, preacher, this bold preacher. But I got the greatest compliment I could ever get as a person who opens the scriptures and tells people about Jesus. It was costly, Lord. I was told, after you preach, I'm more in love with Jesus. The prophetic ministry has always been hard, Church, but it's worth it. It's and I pray, Lord, that everyone here is Every ready time you to open receive the, word, the Lord Jesus Christ. You should be more in love with Jesus. And Lord, I know some of us have been believers for, for many years. He's made it so you but I pray the ministry of John right. hits us hard. If you want Jesus, reminds us hear God me, of you get him. 
the life that we're supposed to live if we That's believe. It. If you want Jesus, you get him. But if you don't, you still get what your heart desires in eternity. And I pray we find the healing that's promised. See, this is not fire and brimstone. This is logic. Why would God, who you don't want to trust and love, make you worship him for eternity? If you want him, you get him. If you don't, he still gives you what your heart desires. Church, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Him being the Christ. I cannot stress this point more. It's all about him. And many have had their lives completely transformed, not by trying really hard to be holy, not by great church attendance, not by trying to do enough good to outweigh the bad, but by falling in love with Jesus because it's all about him. So who do you say that Jesus is? Worship team, you can come on up. I'm going to just finish with this story. When the World Trade Center crumbled to the ground on the dreadful day of September 11, 2001, more than 3,000 people died. But a few of those who were buried beneath the rubble miraculously survived the toppling of the towers. Two of these individuals were William Jimeno and John McLaughlin, a pair of Port Authority employees who responded to the attacks and were at the bottom floor when the South Tower began to fall. They raced to an elevator and amazingly survived the 100-story collapse around them but were buried in dozens of feet down in the midst of an array of rubble. Trapped without water, without, while breathing smoke-filled air, both Will and John had little hope of survival. <sighs> Yet as they lay there, pinned under a mountain of debris, something was stirring inside in an accountant in Connecticut that they had never met. Dave Carnes, who had spent 23 years in active duty in the Marines, was watching the scene play out on television just like the rest of us, but more than allowing it to merely trouble him, he decided to do something about it. He went to his boss and told him he wouldn't be back for a while. Dave went to a barber shop and asked for a high and tight haircut, then stopped by his home to put on his military fatigues hoping the uniform would allow him access into the blocked-off area surrounding Ground Zero. He drove to Manhattan (laughs) at speeds of over 120 miles an hour. He arrived by late afternoon. While rescue workers were being called off the wreckage pile because of danger, Dave was able to stay because of the clout and credential that came with his military uniform. Finding another Marine nearby, the two men walked the pile together, seeking to save the lost. After an hour of searching, they heard the faint sound of tapping pipes and yelling. Will and John had been trapped for nine hours by that time, completely incapable of working themselves free. Yet in the midst of all the rubble, a Marine who earlier in the morning had been working on spreadsheets in Connecticut found them. Of the 20 people pulled from the heaped-up remains of the World Trade Center, Will Jimeno and John McLaughlin were numbers 18 and 19, all because Dave Carnes took off his suit, put on his rescue fatigues, and stepped into the despair and darkness of Ground Zero. In the same way, but in an infinitely greater degree, God took off his royal robe, stepped into our dark and depraved culture and served us. 
when we were buried in the depths and rubble of our own foolishness with zero chance of pulling ourselves out of our own sin. We were without hope until the Holy One clothed himself in humanity to rescue us, to become sin for us on the cross. Church, Jesus is the Christ. And my prayer for every single one of us is that we would not just believe that intellectually, but we would live in that fact. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to worship. We're going to worship in a familiar song that makes it all about Jesus being the Christ. But I would ask you, in, the, in this time of worship, maybe God's stirring something in you. Maybe you've, you've kind of been faking it. Maybe you've walked away from him and you just kind of came here because you felt like you were supposed to. No matter how far you walk from him, as soon as you turn around, he's right there to meet you. So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? And some of you just feel disconnected from Jesus being the Christ. This is just an opportunity for you and him to to get real and to, to be quiet and to just allow Jesus and what he has accomplished and what he has done to be true in your heart. And so if you feel like you need him today, maybe you've ran from him, maybe you've never trusted him, maybe you've just turned him into a good teacher, but not the Christ of your life. Maybe you thought you were following him for a long time, but you weren't. Everyone's head's bowed, everyone's eyes closed. If you just need prayer, would you just raise your hand and I will pray for you to point you back to Jesus. Praise God. Anyone else? Hallelujah. 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 Anyone? Anyone else? God bless you guys. Put your hands down. Father, I pray for these men and women who have just simply just raised their hand. God, you are going to work out the details, but I would ask you to stir something in them to talk with others from Hillside because we love you, Jesus. We love them and we want to point them to you and walk alongside them as they grow in their understanding of grace and truth. So God, thank you that you are a saving God. Thank you that you took off your royal robes and came and walked among us and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I ask Jesus those men and women who raise their hand, God, that they would fill you afresh, that they would understand you better because of their willingness to not just hear your word, but to apply it in their own lives. Jesus, thank you that you are the Christ, that you've done for us what we can't do for ourselves, and it is in you alone that we're made right. We pray this in Jesus' name. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.